And I think there's um, the, the main difference between the two to me is that the the Western is more in concerned with the development of the individual, and mm-hmm. the Eastern to me is the more concerned with the development of as of the individual as related to other people. Um, you, that's so interesting that you think that. So you really think it's about being a good citizen, the Eastern not, direction, not <laughs> being a good citizen, but the goal is compassion for others. Hmm. I think that's what the uh, a peace within yourself and compassion for others is to me is the Eastern esoteric and exoteric because that comes out in their society um, yeah. as collectivism or whatever you want to call it. And then the, the Western one is more concerned with individuation and what that purely really American thing about being a rugged individual or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that dream, that that uh, that archetype. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, too. Yeah. Well, I, that's just how I think of it. You are free to um, change my mind, discuss it with me, or disabuse me of any <laughs> inaccuracies in that. interested in the future for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives and remember my friend future events such as these will affect you in the future you are interested in the unknown the mysterious the unexplainable that is why you are here and now for the first time we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. I looked at your your various bios online, and there's different ones. Mm-hmm. And to introduce you, I would probably say, and then you can introduce yourself. But to me, um, uh, what interested me was that one, the American Renaissance Tarot, which we will talk about. But the fact that you had a doctorate in um, uh, English, I keep mm-hmm. thinking it's American literature, but that's what you wrote about, sort of, in your in your dissertation. Well, it's it, it's it. Uh, the focus was American literature, but the you know it's all very technical, right? So the, the discipline was English, but yeah, it was all American lit for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and that how you use that um, to become who you are now, which is a practicing you know um, tarot reader, occultist, astrologer but you have an academic basis for what you're doing. And that puts you in, I think, the right position to produce this amazing tarot deck that you did. And, you know, I looked at it for inspiration while we were doing our ufology tarot. And I think actually, I I did ask you a few questions about how you produced it and what was going on and the difficulties and all that, which you really helped with. So 
if I'm sorry, I didn't send you a bio. <laughs> By the way, I'm just totally that's okay. Them. Why don't you give yeah. us your own bio, and we will uh, continue after that. It, I sometimes do this either when I'm lazy or <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I can do it justice, and I, I don't think I can. I mean, I read it all, but um, please, uh, maybe you can introduce yourself. All righty. So I am Thea Wershing. I am a writer, a scholar, and a mom. Uh, my background is that I have a PhD in English from UCLA, and the focus of my work there was American occultism, but I was studying that under the English discipline. Uh, so I wound up producing a dissertation about American writers and how they contributed to the spread of new age and occult ideas. And so that was one of my big arguments Mm -hmm. that um, literature, right? Pop literature spreads these ideas. Yeah. And um, it still I'm does. Still, it still does. I'm very attached to that argument. And people have a lot of interesting responses to it. Like they think it means that uh, their belief system isn't real because it might have come from a novel. But I frankly find that something to celebrate. You know, I love the Quixotic history of our contemporary occultism. Anyway, I'm an astrologer and I was doing that way before I ever started college. So I dropped out. Well, I should say I was kicked out of college when I was 19 and I went on a kind of good for you. Trip. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun. It's hard to get kicked out of UC Santa Cruz, but somehow I managed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I went on a vision quest and what I came back with was, Oh, I, I want to be an astrologer. And I was so embarrassed. I had so much shame around that because I thought, wait, I'm smart. Yeah, that's not a career <laughs> path for a smart woman. Yeah, it's got straight A's in high school. Why would I want to be uh, an astrologer? Um, but that was when I started on the path. I got my first teacher when I was 19. And I kept waiting for this astrology college to open, Kepler mm -hmm. College, which is open now. But it, it didn't open. So I thought, well... I might as well go get a college degree in something. <laughs> I I wound up uh, producing a big project as an undergrad about Anais Nin or Anais Nin, people also call her, and her investment in astrology, which was huge. So I did. I didn't know that, but it seems obvious now. Oh, yeah. You know, she's connected to Henry Miller, who was a mm -hmm. big astrological enthusiast. So um, anyway, I did an astrological alchemical reading of her novel cycle and I got this big award and I was not planning on going to graduate school, but I thought, wait a minute, I did this really weird project at UCLA and they liked it. So let's see how far I can keep this going. And that's kind of how I wound up writing a uh, history of American occultism via its fiction writers. Mm -hmm. So there's me and uh, I'm no longer in academia, which I have mixed feelings about. Uh, but I do love my job as an evolutionary astrologer, which means I look at people's past lives and the natal chart and, and talk to them about that and do a little writing on the side. So that's me. Do you have, um, I know you do actually, because I read um, some of your, somewhere in your writing online, I think, or maybe in, in the book for American Renaissance Tarot, that when you dropped out of college um, a couple times, you said that the academics are more concerned with deconstructing things to the point where they don't mean anything anymore. And that's oh, yeah. 
That's why it really bothered you. I've been warned of that too, because I'm looking around for a doctoral program right now to sort yeah. of basically almost do the same thing. I'm interested in something. I want the doctoral program to force me to do research into it. Yeah. And then I want to be able to talk to people, academics that, that aren't too stuck in um, deconstruction of stuff about the subjects I'm interested in. Do you think that's changing? How did you find that program at UCLA and an advisor or advisors that would uh, that were down with your what you wanted to do for your dissertation? Because apparently that's very important. Otherwise, it just kind of turns into a torture. Yeah, well, that that latter was sort of my experience. And so um, my advisor absolutely was not down with my idea. So <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of battles and and I think he felt that I was sort of unfairly exploiting the English discipline to do what I wanted to do, which was to research occult history. But there's just not a great home for that. That's the thing is that you kind of sounded have to kind of threatened down. by it. Well, I mean, you know, even within the like, discipline, we shouldn't be doing this. It's going to make us look bad. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. He said. It, it was pretty explicit. I mean, it yeah. was not much different than that. It was sort of like if you write about these things, I will not. Uh, elect to provide you with more funding, which is tantamount to booting me out. So yeah. I had a lot of struggles, but I, I think uh, what you're doing researching the school is really helpful. And then I think finding a, a person to work with is really just luck of the draw because you never know how personalities will interact. But, you know, I, I know plenty of people now who did a, an academic degree in occult studies and got a lot of support. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is just partly luck of the draw and, and things are changing. Um, what I ran into is that I, I think the occult basically uh, is transgressive, right? Mm. I think that's yeah. a great definition of it. Especially, so, especially in academia. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I, I think it conjures up the devil, even if people don't believe in that anymore, we're all impacted by that taboo right it's like oh well, yeah we, yeah. we, we, we swim in the, yeah we swim in that <laughs> tank we, we just don't realize it until we start banging up against the edges of it yeah like we'll, we'll get infected by the devil and then um i think the other thing is too what i ran into is because i am a spiritual person or maybe i'm an occultist i don't know what to call myself but i have had all these experiences that defy consensus reality right it's like they're not supposed to have happened and so then if you talk about that in academia, then you are breaking that uh, law of empiricism, right? It's like, well, yeah, I, you I, can't I, talk about things that we all know are not true or don't yeah, exist. I've heard it called bracketing too. I love that term. Oh yeah, right. It's like you have to bracket it as an anomaly or, you know, yeah, make this- I am outside crazy. of this and looking at it and we know we have the right, you know, we, ha- we have the right system and we're just looking <laughs> at this strange system for uh, out of curiosity. Yeah. And, and so what I ran into, right, right, exactly. Like you can't, you can't dignify the person. So what I ran into mm. is I was talking about all these Americans who had these uh, kind of outre or just, you know, outside experiences. And I was giving them dignity in the way that I spoke about them, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, well, so-and-so had this type of experience. And I realized the only correct academic way to write about these people would be to say, you know, these obviously crazy, irrational people and they I, claim I, that they had this experience. <laughs> Let's have a look at that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I kept having to go into my dissertation 
and take out all the juicy bits, you know, the bits that really touched my heart or were really exciting uh, because there was nothing I could do to prove to my advisor uh, that that these experiences were actually relevant and not just like an embarrassing thing to put aside. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> crazy woo woo people believe this, but we're yeah, exactly. But we're not yeah, in that group because otherwise you won't take us seriously. Well, they, it's interesting too. I mean, um, just, you know, to, to switch over to the American Renaissance tarot. Please. Um, we have this idea that American uh, history was just Christian. It was all Christian and it was really boring. And so when you introduce these other ideas, I think people have this default reaction of like, oh, that's not who Americans are. You know, everyone knows that our history is really dull and uninspired and everyone was just either a racist or a Christian. And it's not true, right? But we we do have this kind of default reaction uh, to American mysticism. But there were so many originals here, right? So theosophy happened in America. Spiritualism happened in America. Mm-hmm. So we do have these really uh, important American movements that turn the tide of new age culture, uh, but we we just don't seem to be uh, able to rally around them, right? And be and be yeah, proud of because them. they're not airplanes, spaceships, or cars. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's part of it. I I think also or wars, as you point point out in some of your writing. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so complex. I mean, I think it's yeah. partly just that we haven't had the scholars. And so it's pretty new. I mean, we have Mitch Horowitz's wonderful book, Occult America, and we have um, Catherine Albanese's book. Mm-hmm. And my friend Ronnie Pontiac just put out a book called American Metaphysical Religion, which is just a treasure trove. I mean, literally a couple of days ago, this book came out. Yeah, I, I just got it in the mail. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you sent me one. So-, so thank you for putting us in touch. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I, I think as that reaches penetration in the culture, we may start to think of ourselves differently. But I think it comes from just imagining that Americans have no culture because we came from elsewhere. And this drives me crazy, right? Because (laughs) my my ancestors- We don't have buildings with columns that are 2000 years old. So who would take us seriously? Hmm. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's like we're a a young nation, but we're not that young, right? So for me, it's- yeah, I, I talk about this in the intro a little bit that my ancestors have been here for, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 generations. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, oh, wait, no, I have to go back to Europe for my roots or something that just doesn't track for me. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff happened here. So, okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. About- no, <laughs> this show is your soapbox. You can talk about whatever you like, complain about whatever you like, push whatever you like, uh, champion whatever you like. And that's what we're doing. Um, well, thank you for that invitation, Greg. I appreciate it. Sure. I mean, I'm excited about this because, like I said, I'm I'm trying to ease myself back into this this realm because it interests me. And plus, mm-hmm. um, my wife, when she we she passed away, was working on a doctorate in um, mythological studies. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking about these things with her that I hadn't talked about in probably ten or fifteen or twenty years. And started refamiliarizing myself with it. Like her first paper, she said, "I have to find a, I have to find a, a Western um, analog for a mandala." Mm. And I said, "How about a rose window in a cathedral?" 
Yeah. And she, we started from that. And then, you know, as, as time went on, we just kept, I, she kept asking me these questions, um, basically just for, for clarity so that she could think about these things better. But it rekindled my interest in it. Yeah. And then um, uh, Jeff Kripal, who became, you know, a friend of mine, he, she, he came to speak at her school at Pacific Graduate Institute. And the, so it, it became obvious to me that I should start looking at this again and that it speaks very well to the, um, I guess, the untalked about or the shadow side or whatever of what I'm really interested in, which is the UFO subject and the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How does academia deal with the occult and the paranormal and extraordinary experience? Did we just we just talked about that, right? Is it is, I it, think, yeah. is it changing for the better? I mean, I mean, I I know Jeff Kripal is doing this, and and a few other people. Diana's doing it. Her, Diana Pasolka's doing it. Stephen Finley's yeah. doing it. But is this kind of a sea change, or do you, is it just a blip? Do you think? Oh, I, oh gosh, that's a hard question because I'm an astrologer, right? <laughs> so yeah, well, that uh, from that point of view, yeah. it would be really interesting to hear what you think. Yeah, so from that perspective, uh, it might be just a blip, but here's the thing, right? It's like I always am able to shift my mental focus, and so if I'm giving you the more academic uh, kind of this world response. Mm-hmm. I would talk about how things do seem to have opened up quite a lot, right? So now we are welcoming all kinds of academics in these topics. I mean, I'm just seeing a slew of them all the time, right? People who are getting advanced degrees in esoteric studies, uh, but that has been very much the effect of Neptune and Pisces. So now if I switch into my uh, astrological perspective, mm-hmm. um, so I've been an astrologer so long uh, since the nineties that we saw this coming and everyone was saying, well, around 2012, there's going to be a big transition where people will be enthusiastic, publicly enthusiastic about things like astrology and witchcraft. And so we now have uh, publications like the Wall Street Journal giving uh, <laughs> astrological updates and things like that, like commenting on astrological phenomena. And so uh, it Business has Business people have been doing this since time began i think it's just well, that... so so right it's it's always kind of but underground exactly right so we do see these waves of enthusiasm right <laughs> and so we're in a big one and i mean i can say too you know back when i was doing this in the 90s and the early 2000s if i'm talking about a moon sign you know or a mercury aspect none of my clients had any idea i never got a single person who knew what a moon sign was and they were just absolutely bowled over, right? When back when I was recording and uh, sending out readings on CD, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now the average client knows their chart backwards and forwards. They mm. have Jenny Nichols app. You know, they can ask me sophisticated sophisticated questions about nodal placements and aspects. So it has changed like a you know 180 for me as an astrologer. Uh, where no one spoke my language and now pretty much the majority of my clients speaks my language. So that's changed. But um, with Neptune moving into Aries a couple of years from now, okay, so like in 2025, I expect that our concerns will change. And uh, Pisces is the sign of mysticism. And so that's why we have seen this explosion of popularity of witchcraft, Mm-hmm. and astrology and associated arts, right? So like in that sense, yeah, the doors seem to have blown open. 
Aries, by contrast, has a much more uh, politically radical feel. And so I do hate to say this, but, you know, it, it's possible that um, political polarities in this country heat up under that influence, right? Because Neptune has to do with belief. Mm-hmm. And so um, Neptune and Aries suggests us lining up on one side or the other and things getting even more polarized than they are now. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. So, yeah, it it also seems like that's exactly, you know, that, that unless something changes drastically, that's exactly what's going to happen until something explodes. I don't know about literally, but like the Civil War. Um, well, not as a civil war, thing. but as a yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, the last time even uh, an intellectual Neptune, civil war, which we're already in anyway. The last time Neptune uh, was in Aries, it marked the beginning of actual fighting in the civil war. Pretty exactly. I haven't looked at that date in a while, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I feel like it was almost to the day. It was pretty dramatic. And then what preceded that was the Neptune and Pisces era, which is really the heart and soul of my tarot deck, right? And so People ask, well, what happened and why was the mid-19th century so weird? Yes. It really was the Neptune and Pisces energy. And so when the Fox sisters came on the scene, I mean, that was just as uh, Neptune was entering Pisces Mm. and inaugurating this time where like suddenly- What year was that? 1860 or something? It was 1848. Oh, okay. And the Fox sisters started talking to Mr. Splitfoot. Yeah, <laughs> the devil. Um, and they, they opened up this uh, seance culture for America and beyond because it was international. Mm-hmm. And then Neptune was in Pisces until 1862. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's 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 pretty, that's pretty exact. <laughs> yeah. And we, we also have, like, interestingly, a political movement um, with the mass interest in abolition. And before that, no one was interested in so. Um, as you know, this is also a theme of my tarot deck, but the abolitionists were also spiritualists, right? So I, I find this fascinating that mm-hmm. um, abolition had existed before, but it was underground. It was not a popular movement. No one was happy to meet you if you were an abolitionist, right? It was like, oh, yeah. no, don't cause problems. And then all of a sudden we have the sea change in the 1850s where everyone's conscience starts to bother them, right? At least in the North. So uh, definitely, I'm I'm also seeing the astrological cycles there. Yeah, well, Black Lives Matter just happened. Exactly. In the last couple exactly. Years. Same yeah, and, thing. <laughs> I'm going to make another parallel. Please. Uh, which I think is so interesting. So I pulled some cards from my deck before we jumped on the call, and I thought, well, what am I going to talk about today? And I pulled the Harriet Beecher Stowe card, mm. and I thought, huh? But in her smash hit, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was the pro-abolition novel. She says, well, you know, maybe you can't change the policies because she's a woman and she's speaking mostly to other women who don't get to vote. And she says, anything really (laughs) (laughs) can't do much of anything except convince their husbands and sons. Right. Mm -hmm. But she says you can see to it that you feel right. That is a political act. Right. You can feel right about the situation. You can feel outraged. You can feel compassion. I find this so interesting uh, with our political movement of the past, uh, you know, decade or so where activism has a lot to do with rooting out your own privilege. It's like this personal private thing. And I'm kind of like, well, what good is that? (laughs) Can't we just change the laws? 
can't we just have better policy, better protection? Who cares how people feel inside, right? I mean, I'm I'm not entirely sure how that works, but there's this- Well, it precedes thread. that change, hopefully, when right, it, when, uh, when it hits a, a critical mass. Go ahead. That's a belief, right? That's a Neptune in Pisces belief that uh-huh. if I'm a good enough person, my society will be better. I don't know that that's true, right? I have true, some true. Yeah. hardcore you, skepticism you, about that. Yeah, yeah, and, you can't just sit there. Well, as you mentioned, you know, the Western model of spirituality is so much about the self, mm-hmm. perfecting the self, and not so much about being in community and doing community-oriented things. So I, you know, to me, it gets to navel-gazing, right? Is this just about this drama of the self and rooting out your sin? You know, you can never get rid of your sin, or can you just roll up your sleeves and be a better person in society? So, <laughs> anyway, but the, the point is, is that it's invisible, right? So Pisces yeah. have to do with invisible things. So it's not about getting out there and being an activist. It's about doing this personal work and feeling right, just like Stowe was doing in the 1850s. I, I find that so fascinating. Yeah. Um, maybe we should background people a bit about what the American Renaissance Tarot is and maybe your inspiration and motivation cr- for creating it and sort of ease people into what is it and what were you, what are you trying to do with it and what can people get out of it? And then we can be a little specific about certain cards and the, and the suits and things like that. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, about uh, Poe appearing in the Edgar Allan Poe appearing in the deck quite a bit, yeah. things like that. We totally didn't do that. So uh, thank you, Greg, for reminding me about that. Yeah, th- this was a really ambitious project. So first I'll say it, it is a tarot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tarot deck. It is a 78 card tarot deck. I immersed myself in tarot history. And so uh, there's a lot of references to, you know, 500 years of um, tarot history. At the same time, it is also trying to collect some of the more interesting characters uh, in American occultism, but with the lens of them being writers. Uh, So for example, I have a Pascal Beverly Randolph card. He was a sex magician. He was very influential on Aleister Crowley, Uh, but he also wrote a lot of books. You know, he wrote a lot of self-help manuals. Um, He wrote some ritual orders. He was a Rosicrucian and he wrote novels. He wrote the first vampire novel in the United States. Oh, wow. Just like, yeah. When? um, What year? uh, 19, or sorry, 1863. Wow. And then he's got a serialized novel about the devil and Satanism. And I forget which publication that's in, but yeah, he's our, our lover card. Um, so I picked some characters like that. You know, I used Joseph Smith, very controversial figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the full card, but I used him because he pulled in a lot of ancient hermetic tradition into Mormonism. Um, so I, I guess I was just looking uh, in general at alternatives, right? Like what were the spiritual alternatives in the mid 19th century? And the big question behind it was, how did we get to theosophy? So we did have this big explosion of occult interest in uh, the 1870s, 80s, and 90s. And I was looking at what came before that. And I was inspired by how Blavatsky ripped off a lot of fiction writers. Frankly, you know, she ripped off Edward Bulwer-Lytton and <laughs> just mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of people who wrote. That's right. the obvious so was, one that I knew about, but there's uh, there's got to be many, many more. Oh, I think she pulled a lot from George Lepard, who's an archival figure, but um, I can go into that later too. But okay, 
Manly P. Hall winds up quoting Lepardin. Anyway, um, Lepard cranked out a lot of mythos of American culture uh, and its occult roots. So anyway, that was that was kind of the interest. And then um, I wanted to combine the political with the spiritual because it was such a potent political time as well in that I think it's a time we can actually be proud of our country in terms of we finally did the right thing. It took us a while, right? But, you know, this is a collective event, the Civil War um, and the fight for abolition, which is what it eventually became, um, and the freedom of enslaved people. And so that whole period is very inspiring to me because of what we're looking at today, right? Because we still struggle so much with our uh, racial division and political polarization and all that stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like I, w- I was trying to instill some American pride because when I look around me, I'm surrounded by leftists and they all hate America and they're ashamed of America. And my thought is like, well, we can't heal anything unless we love it. I mean, you yes. really have to love being here mm-hmm. to roll up your sleeves and help. Right. It's like, <laughs> that's what I say to- about the UFO thing. You have to love the subject and love the thing. Otherwise you're just mm-hmm. going to be fighting with yourself about it and other people. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, finish your thought. I had another question along those lines. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think in terms of like my emotional investment in the project, it was about kind of wondering about my own roots. Where did I come from? And so looking at this time about 150 years ago, or it's more now, you know, 170 mm-hmm. and figuring out how did I happen? You know, I'm like an American occultist and pagan. And and so who are my people? What are my roots? And so it was just looking for uh, the counterculture essentially from that time. So, yeah. And uh, there's 36 writers represented. And so Gosh, we have uh, Herman Melville, Nathaniel Hawthorne. I did the Transcendentalists and the mm-hmm. Major Arcana. So I did Thoreau and Emerson and Whitman. And we could look at them as, oh, they're just writers. But Emerson inspired a lot of people in the New Thought movement. Uh, Whitman is a pantheist. You know, Thoreau, according to Catherine Albanese, uh, really helped found American nature religion, which probably most of us are affiliated with in some way. So it's just yeah, looking as, at as how pagans, these, yeah. Yeah, like how these American minds seeded uh, these spiritual movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made a, 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 and I'm interested in this because that was my favorite uh, period in art history. You made a, um, a uh, comparison between the Italian Renaissance of the 15th century and the American Renaissance that uh, featured in your deck. What do you yeah. think are the parallels there besides, I suppose, the obvious ones? We can talk about the obvious ones, too. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I have a very anal retentive answer. <laughs> question is It's very specific and it, it sounds boring, but to me, it's so exciting. So in the Italian Renaissance, uh, Marsilio Ficino translated ancient texts, right? So he brings Plato, the Neoplatonists, the Corpus Hermeticum into the modern language of Latin, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's bringing these ancient texts to life. In the 19th century, right around the turn into the 19th century, Thomas Taylor, also known as the English pagan, uh, was just this wild independent thinker. He translated all these same texts into English. So all of a sudden, right, we have uh, Plato available in his very mystical translation. We have um, Plotinus, the Neoplatonists, the Amblicus, like the Chaldean oracles. 
So he makes this stuff accessible. Mm-hmm. We see some of that influence in English Romantic poetry. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it did impact the English Romantics and art but, too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, Emerson and Bronson Alcott took that ball and ran with it. They loved Thomas Taylor, and so Emerson was sure to try and meet Taylor when he went to England. And um, or no, I think Taylor had died, but he was looking for his his books. And mm-hmm. he was surprised that Taylor did not have the monumental reputation um, in England that Emerson imagined he would have had, right? I mean, uh, Taylor was an eccentric and was doing pagan rituals and stuff. He was a reconstructionist. Yeah, well, Emerson uh, was too much of a hipster then. If he thought... <laughs> <laughs> right, so... I, I Haven't mean, you actually... heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> the rebirth, it's the same rebirth, right? It's It's... Uh, yet another rebirth of these ancient platonic ideas. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I know you just saw my talk on Edgar Allan Poe and I talked about his Neoplatonism. and it Which it came, I had no idea about because, of course, they I, don't teach you that, as we discussed. Well, of course, right. And, and you know, the whole thing with um, making speculations about a revered writer's spiritual life, no one likes that, right? Like we like to think of Poe as some brooding atheist, I mean, he had this ecstatic spiritual life, right? We don't get to. I'm just laughing because that's how I thought of him before your talk. (laughs) Right. So um, I I have a hilarious uh, take on this in my dissertation because he he wrote this ecstatic text at the end of his life, Eureka. And he says, well, I open with a sentiment of awe. And um, it just gets more ecstatic from there. And then all the critical reads are like, well, obviously Poe is being sarcastic. (laughs) <laughs> and he means the opposite of what he says. And I'm just like, what what crazy lengths we have to go to uh, to make sure that our intellectuals remain, um, you know, secular. Right? Yeah. It's like, why, why can't they be both? Why can't he be a genius and a mystic? Yeah, I think in your abstract that you had online, it said that it was that Eureka was his attempt to prove the co- co-equality of matter and spirit in man's innate divinity. Yes. And if yeah, if a if a critic is reading that or an academic is reading that, it just seems it's the same feeling I get. Do you know one of my favorite books is um, John Barleycorn by um, uh, Jack London? And basically, basically, God, it's so great. Basically, it's an autobiography of him being an alcoholic. Okay. And he talks about incidents from his life and uses his wife's name. And. Literary criticism consists of, well, this is just metaphor and he's not really talking about himself. It's like, what are you talking about? He's directly talking about himself. Yeah, the, these are some ridiculous standards called, you know, the new critical standards where we have to separate the the author's work from their life, which it, it just gets absurd at a certain point. And I'm going to tell you a little factoid about Jack London that you probably didn't know. Um, his father that he did not have a relationship with was one of the earliest American uh, astrologers, at least in the 19th century. Um, so I think Did his London name, reject that? You know, um, London also has a novel called The Star Rover. Yes. About a man in prison who can astrally travel, right? And I, I think, was London's mom a spiritualist? I mean, he is all over this. I'm not American sure. Novel. All I know is that, you know, that, that novel, my favorite one, and then a few... I have mm-hmm. not read, you know, uh, White Fang or anything like that. I've I've read his I've read his letters and I've read yeah. 
you know, ba- basically his letters to other writers, which are incredibly um, insightful, and then his uh, uh, John Barleycorn. I also know that he was just like everybody else in in that time in that century, a um, pretty racist in his ideas as as far as we know them now. Sure, um, but that's you know, I mean, that's pretty much pervasive with any kind of anything you uh, approach, uh, especially right. uh, well, any kind of Western writing you approach for the past. Well, I don't know, four or 500 years or more. That, so. That's to be expected. And so when, when people try to argue, was this 19th century racist, or was this 19th century writer racist? I don't even understand why it's a question because like- Well, to, yeah, they were, but that's how everyone was, except the people they were pointing the racism at. <laughs> but that's not even true either because, you know, unfortunately, um, Black writers had to absorb the same science and the same standard, right? So you see Black writers repeating- Right, uh, the exactly. science of the times, right? Yeah. And so it, it really did impact everyone. And so- And one of those yeah. is on one of the cards on, on um, death. I'm sorry, the devil. That's right. Yeah. So the quote unquote scientific racism is our devil card. And I I didn't pin it to a person. I mean, I did. I I pinned it on this guy who wrote a very racist uh, pseudoscientific manual. But I I wasn't trying to pin it on a major American writer because. No, you just need you need a touchstone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it it wasn't just one person. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And, you know, the, the whole my whole take on that was yes, our culture is flawed, but if we have this really unbalanced attitude of just rejecting everything, right? Because we come from a flawed culture. So we have to cut ourselves off at the roots. Then we're losing everything, right? Yeah. You don't, you can't deal with it. Honestly, if you just ignore it, you can't just cover your, cover your eyes and say, that's bad and move on. You've got to deal. It's like, it's like therapy, you know? And I mean, but we're we're losing the gifts as well, right? That's like we're losing that connection to history and to place, and we're just watch, walking around in shame. Mm-hmm. That is not a way to help our country, right? It's that you know, just that dissociation is like, well, I hate America. I don't identify as America, American or whatever. How would that help us get better? You know, then you're no, just kind no, of it doesn't. It, it makes you just run around in circles. Exactly. So it, the the point of the project, and I don't know if I succeeded, was to say, let's look at the ugliness. Let's look at how um, horrible it was, you know, how uneven it was, how unfair it was uh, in terms of the um, social strata, you know, and um, the objectification and dehumanization of Black people. I mean, that absolutely happened. And Native um, Americans. You've had that, and have that on, the, on the strength card, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but then let's lo- also look at um, the amazing stories of uh, pride and, and overcoming degradation. So uh, there's a number of African-American writers in the project. And I, I kind of feel like those cards stole the show because I was dealing with autobiography as a genre. Right. And so it's like mm-hmm. anytime I'm quoting Frederick Douglass, I'm like, why? I just want you to write the whole tarot deck Douglas because he's so inspiring mm-hmm. and um the, the stories are just that much more impactful because they are about real life you yeah. know well so. you look it's not just that too because it's it it looks at, as you said you look at the entire sweep of the 19th century mm-hmm. as uh, from uh, you know kind of historical perspective and also the good and the bad because also you know Poe and yeah. and and like you said Emerson and um 
uh, Whitman and and Abraham Lincoln and people like that are featured in it as well. And and Joseph Smith, for Christ's sake. Right. Um, so right. this project has my respect because it looks at the good and the bad and it weighs them and and decides or not decides, but says, look, this is where we come from. And yeah, this and I, is this, you know, we can look at ourselves in that way and maybe that can start some changes or healing or whatever, even on a personal level, which is where it starts. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think we could just switch into uh, tarot as a genre now. So mm-hmm. what I was trying to do was make this project many voiced, right? Because when you are uh, using tarot for yourself or reading for someone else, you're not always going to be using the same tool. Okay, so I'll give an example. I, years ago, I had this deck. It was called the Osho Zen uh, <laughs> Tarot, but it felt like the answer to every question was like, um, I don't know, the Buddhist way of no desire. That seemed to be just like how you should resolve everything, but that's not always going to be the right tool for the job. And so, no, no, there's about a hundred steps before that in a lot of cases. <laughs> Right. So um, that's that's why I'm using all these different voices in the deck because mm-hmm. they disagree. Right. And so as the type of practitioner I am, you know, as an astrologer, I give people the polar opposite advice all the time. You know, one person might need the Aries advice and then the next client same day gets the Libra advice and that's all based on their chart. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's just like a more general comment that this is why I don't make a lot of memes or do a lot with my business online because it's so individual. I can't reduce a message to, you know, here's 10 words. That's like a truism for everybody because we're all so individual. And so um, this is something I love about tarot is that with, you know, 78 cards or just even with 22 cards, like your new deck, you know, the major arcana, we get all these different perspectives. And every day brings a new challenge and we're going to need a new tool for that challenge. So I love the diversity that a a tarot deck can contain. Yeah. It's like having, it's like giving yourself your own advice, Mm. you know, and it's to me, it's a, it's a Western I Ching. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's mostly how I use it. I mean, I do read for clients, but and it has nothing to do with telling the future or predicting anything. To me, it more is it is a it is a tool of perspective. Yeah, I, I think mostly it's useful for becoming aware of your emotions. Mm. However, uh the future can creep in. I mean, I remember one Oh yeah, it's a randomization exercise, so that happens. I mean, you look 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 at Burroughs cutups, it's the same thing. Well, I I think there's something more going on. I have my own theories about it. So I, I don't think the human mind is all powerful. I think that um, guides or spirits sometimes are directing it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember there was a time in my life where I was doing tarot cards every day. It was just a habit. And I kept getting the death card. And it just didn't relate to anything that I was going through. You know, death is an ending or transition. I just thought, Right. I don't I don't get it, but okay. And I just I pulled it every day. At the end of the week, I found out that a good friend of mine had been murdered. Mm. And that was so creepy, right? Because I sure got immersed in death and the whole idea of death and the finality of death after that happened. So the cards were saying, Hey, you know, the, the, <laughs> this is going on. The reason um, I said Burroughs is because a quote of his about the cut ups, he says, When you cut into the present, the future leaks out. Oh, there you go. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. They're not separate. That's really interesting. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it, having a randomization of your thoughts or something, you know, just uh, I think that the random pulling of these cards um, reflects on the random, you know, it, it, it takes your conscious thought and prediction and whatever uh, uh, frame you want to put on it out of the picture so that a maybe a, a purer or more accurate or more helpful motivation, I'm sorry, message or um, perspective can come through. Yeah. I have your deck in front of me, by the way, and it's it's been blessed by Greg himself. I think it was living in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I just pulled it out of my pocket and gave it to you. And we, yeah, we talked so. about this beforehand, using um, my deck and yours and doing a couple of readings. I don't know what kind you want to do, maybe just a three card or something. Or yeah, well, I, I had a thought about a question, um, just using your deck. And mm -hmm. then uh, we had talked about me giving away one of my readings to a lucky listener, Radio Mysterioso. So maybe mm -hmm. we'll come up with a question that someone could answer in the comments and we'll do a, a randomized pick okay. if someone wants the reading. But for for you and your deck, what do you have a question that I could do with your cards? Yesterday, I had a show with everybody that had uh, the entire group that had put the cards together, the artists and everybody. And my question at that time was, what was the future of the cards? And we got the moon card. Oh, okay. But you're so are you trying to uh, like nurture the creation of the miners into being? <laughs> that was what I yes, thought about. Yes, possibly. Um, uh, how about a question? my relationship to uh nurturing the miners into being because we're at a we're at a point at which we're deciding whether we're going to do that or not okay so the question is should you do the miners yeah we want to but there's okay. also questions as there are in any endeavor yeah okay i'm gonna try to shuffle these guys i have my own question too i just we'll do a couple yeah okay wondering if I should use my cards for your question. Maybe you should, because uh, these cards are self-referential. I mean, I, I've been using them <laughs> myself to, I just once in a while pull up questions for myself and just, and, and, you know, just do a one card pull. Sometimes I do three because I'm no good at tarot yet. So <laughs> let's do, let's do three on your question. So what's the status here with the miners and should, should you go forward? So have you seen the, um, I think it's called the the African American history deck, but it's just makers and I saw so cool. I didn't it get released like in the last year or so. No, it's been around for a while. Really? Because I did see it online. I I, I, I saw have, somebody was featuring it. I have a framed image of Tina Turner as strength in my office. <laughs> so ah, perfect. I, I don't have the whole deck, but I have that card because just spoke to me. Yeah, we have posters of our cards too. I think I'm going to take a couple of my favorites. I actually had um, proofs made of them to see how they would look and they look beautiful and they're the ones I would have on my wall anyway. So, <laughs> Well, so what I've got here, the first card is the fool. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I like so that. It, it can be good. It can, you know, tarot can also be very literal. Um, yes. So you might be like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Have you thought this through? Are you yeah. going to walk off that cliff or not? <laughs> <laughs> and then the next card is the Pope, um, which I assume in this case 
is you like you're the driving energy behind the deck it's funny people ask one time when i was uh, with a group of people we tried to assign ourselves um like uh names like superhero names and they just called me the bishop i said but that's my name and they said well that's the hierophant <laughs> don't you realize that's the person that... so you're right about that that's nice oh i love that yeah so um he's the one with all the knowledge and in my deck he's kind of presenting this opal um Anyway, and then, but the last card is the seven of wands hmm. and it's uh, someone being defensive. And so my take on this is that it's the artist going, whoa, this is a big ask. <laughs> wow, is yeah. that a lot of work? And, you know, I'll tell you, like for our project, it took five years to do the art. And Ugh, um, wow. Yeah, we're, you know, we're planning on like two or three for the miners. Yeah. And it, it was partly just because I didn't have a big truckload of cash to offer someone. So I just had to, you know, do it piecemeal, like pay card by card. Mm -hmm. uh, but it it's an endeavor. So I think that, that I think that's where it stands now is that the artists might be going, I, I don't know, this is a big commitment. It really is you know, to, to get to the finish line. So it is, it, it totally is. And I'm looking at, I'm, I ordered the Manly Palmer hall deck because a oh, friend of cool. mine actually should, cause they're reprinting them. And I think they should be ready around now. Yeah, I know. I saw, I saw a copy when I was at Paris. Um, okay. So here's my question. Are you ready, Greg? Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. So Pluto is going to dip into Aquarius. Aquarius. Yeah. You mentioned this when we were talking about yeah, really briefly. So from March to June, and so um, it's kind of the beginning of a paradigm shift. And so Pluto has that energy of, you know, finality and death and transformation. And Aquarius is space travel and it can be UFOs and aliens. And so my question is what's going to happen in this first pass of Pluto and Aquarius? It's going to dip back into Capricorn. But what cool stuff is going to go on relative to the theme of your deck? Uh, from the March to June period. So what do you think? That's that a good question. question. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. And you're using my deck for that now. I'm using your deck. And then you're going to explain to me who these people are since I don't okay. have the contact. So. All right. Yeah. Because okay. we, we talked about this and the, the deck can be used for whatever you want. But the main, yes. the main thing is basically is if you're interested in UFOs, it can help give you perspective on your personal take on it because with this subject, more than anything else to me, is your personal connection with it is all important. And so this was conceived wow. partially as a tool to get you to find out what that personal connection is. So go ahead. Okay. So um, when people do a three-card poll, it's often past, present, and future. That's a useful right. way to look at right. it. So I'm going to give you all three, and then let's see what you think of that collective. So we have the hanged man, the moon, and strength. Here, let me get them out of my deck here so I can look at it at the same time. The Hangman, which is my favorite card now in the deck. Oh, the moon again, huh? The moon again, yeah. So why don't you tell us what's going on in the Hanged Man? Because I see a vulture. And yeah, you have a vulture on your on your devil card, and we have it on the, on the Hanged Man card. Tell me, tell me what's going on in the Hangman card because I don't have the book for this deck yet, so I don't, I yeah. do not know. We're, we're still, on. we're still getting. We, I just got an approved proof of the book, so that's why. Awesome. Um, the Hanged Man is James McDonald, who was a scientist and atmospheric uh, physicist, and very interested in the UFO subject. 
In the 1960s and early 70s, he tried to get people interested, his colleagues in science interested in UFOs. Of course, he was ridiculed and made fun of, and skeptics came after him, partially ruined his academic career. And um, he ended up shooting himself, killing himself, and this is basically honoring his memory. And yes, it's an exoteric reading of it because, you know, of course, the hanged man is a victim. The hanged man in in the traditional deck is not a victim. It is a it is a it is a symbol of um, um, I guess tribulation before some breakthrough. That's one interpretation of it, right? Oh yeah, I mean it's really <clears throat> like such a ooky spooky card, <laughs> you know. So Mary Greer has this uh, book on tarot reversals, and I was just looking at the Hangman chapter, and she was saying, well, this card can't really make any sense because it is the reversal card, mm. right? It's like the card of of everything being upside down, and so. Like what I see um, in this card relative to this question is this is the larger background of UFO studies, right? Or interest is that um, that it gets upended or, you know, victimized. That can be a meaning of the hangman card. Mm-hmm. And I also think of it as having to do with um, time and suspended time. So it it has not been the time, right, um, for people to take it seriously or for it to... Uh, I guess, come into some respect, you know, some public respect. And so that very much feels like the past. And then if we look at the moon card, uh, which is the present, I mean, the moon can mean so many different things. It can mean spooky mysticism, you know, like uncanny stuff going on, but it can also mean kind of nurturing something into being. So tell me what's going on on this moon card. Our moon card is kind of a tricksterish card. Mm-hmm. Because the two people on the card um, are uh, were involved in basically one of them um, wrote UFO books and was never serious about it, just thought it was a silly thing, but um, was interested in the subject. And the other one, and that was Ray Barker on the left from West Virginia, and he has he has a he has a a um, mason jar of moonshine in his hand. Yeah. And on the right is Jim Mosley, who w- really did love the UFO subject, was very interested in it but thought there was ultimately no answer. And the most interesting thing you could get out of it is what reaction people had. What are the people like? Um, and he's, he wow. used to live in New York City, so he's got, a, he's, got a, uh, he, he's got a martini in his hand. He's a sophisticated city person. But these guys were best friends. And this is wow, <laughs> really? I wasn't expecting uh, that twist at the end. Okay. Oh, they were, they were very much <laughs> best friends, and they would play hoaxes on UFO people um, occasionally. Uh, they'd get drunk. He mostly would travel out to West Virginia. They'd drink a little bit, and they'd just start figuring out how they could mess with people that took themselves too seriously. And in furtherance of that, <clears throat> Mosley's holding a, a, a line, a string, and it's going up out of frame and down, and it's holding up a fake UFO. And in front of them is somebody that's like a, with, a, with a phone uh, camera excitedly taking a picture of this fake UFO and he's still covered with all the muck from the swamp and these two guys are wearing swamp waders so they're they're staying away from the the silly muck of of ufology <laughs> I you know I love this take on the moon card as deception and illusion um but what the other thing that you've brought out so nicely if if we think about the present well, that's that's why the moon is eclipsed too because it it, it emphasizes mm. that fact go ahead I'm sorry it's a partial eclipse what what's it called a um um, what a partial eclipse blood. of the moon where it makes it, it turns red. Yeah. Blood on the moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I love that you brought out with this card is the idea of subjectivity and 
that's something you just said, like, oh, that, you know, this is what's most interesting to me is uh, how people relate to this phenomenon, right? Like how everyone has their own individual, emotional or intellectual take on it. And so if that's the present, right, we're kind of in this moment now. And, you know, I'm definitely thinking of uh, Jeff Kripal's work. Mm hmm around this which is so interesting right i find that so compelling yeah opening opening up the sort of the um interior life of of people's uh attitudes towards uh strange stuff or what we exactly. call strange stuff yeah right and thinking about um the ufo phenomena is not not a recent development right, right. just like a new uh we have new language for very very old <laughs> yeah it's now called phenomena. uap and because the government wants us to say that or whatever yeah. Um, There's a okay, lot of transitions so, going on or uh, changes now. So I'm, I'm looking at the strength card as a future commentary and I'm seeing a map that says Tahunga and tell me what's going on with this lion and and the woman on the strength card. The woman on the strength card is Ann Druffel. She used to live in Southern California. She's everybody on these cards, uh, at least the ones you've pulled up here are, are passed away now there. Um, there's three people in the cards that are actually still living who we've got permission from. Um, okay. Anne Druffel wrote a book called The Tahunga Canyon Contacts, which was one of the first books about UFO abduction in 1978 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so she's a pioneer in that area. Um, that's why we have the, and th that actually is a picture, the background is actually a picture from Tahunga Canyon of like a waterfall that happens occasionally <laughs> when it rains. Okay. And yeah. Instead of the sky, that plain yellow sky that's in the Rider Waite Smith, I said, "Why don't we put a topo map of Tahunga Canyon behind them, behind it as the sky?" I love it. And who's the lion? The lion uh, is Philip Class, who was a um, vicious UFO skeptic who was basically <laughs> everybody's bugaboo. Um, he's the devil too. He's on the devil card as the devil. Um, okay, this is so funny. So, um, and she's shutting, and she had f like public disagreements with class, and it's basically she's like very, very gently shutting his mouth and saying, "Shut up, Phil. Come on." And he is his the hair, his mane is directly yeah. the same mane that's on the cowardly lion in Wizard of Oz in the movie. You know, I was gonna say that, and then I didn't want to be insulting, so I, I said, oh I no no, say whatever you like. Yes, and she was <laughs> well, Catholic, I, I, so we have the, we have the red roses as her um uh, as as her crown. It, it looks like a Wizard of Oz reference to me, but it I, is. I didn't want There's to another Wizard of Oz reference on the High Priestess <clears throat> too. Very heavy Wizard of Oz imagery in that one. It's a very evocative card. I think it's beautiful. I love it. I, you know, the whole deck is such a beautiful look with the limited color scheme, which I really enjoy. Um, yeah, I was it, against that at the beginning. And many people say now it's like, and the people at the beginning said, I like the limited color scheme. So go ahead. Well, it, you know, it gives it an iconic look, but yeah, um, that's true. I guess what comes up for me, right? Since we asked a question about the future, what's coming up uh, March to June when Pluto's in Aquarius. And it's red, white, and blue is the color scheme. So that's another oh. thing that is interesting to me. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so now we'll just have to watch and wait, right? So let's see what happens coming up. And so um, will it be that uh, we have to have compassion <laughs> for the virulent skeptics? You know, is that going to come up? Mm-hmm. Or is it that, um, I don't know, what comes up for me is that th there might be some um, more public sympathy, right? Because I think of strength as like sympathy, compassion, patience, um, sympathy for the cause, 
that there might be like a softening toward leading ET enthusiasts, you know, a softening toward them or compassion that we didn't see before, you know, maybe they won't face as much uh, virulent criticism. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think for strength as the future here? I think that's quite accurate that what accurate. I agree with what you say there. Mm. And what the, you know, the 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 story arc that you have just um uh set before us with the hanged man being sort of the past and the the questioning and the persecution and all that, the present being um uh a a changing uh, a confusion a um, mm-hmm. a subjectivity a, subjectivity yeah and a, and a yeah. celebration of the weirdness of it and the, and almost the acceptance right. of it um with you know w- with the idea that there is a there is a real thing there but there's also a lot of um self-deception uh and mm. uh and you know wish fulfillment from both sides yeah um, and then the, with the strength card to me what you said was valid but i also would add that i think that this interest is going to die away because it's mm. always cyclical. There's the interest in UFOs has been cyclical for probably since the beginning of the modern era where people started talking about it. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of this stuff is going to die away, but that the subject itself and the people that are interested in it and the, 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 the you know, the academics and the other and the scientists and people that have become interested in it, will infuse the subject with a strength that it did not have before and allow it mm. to move forward in a, in a more fruitful direction um, in, in, into the future. And, it, you know, that's kind of how I see the, what the role I see the cards playing, too, is, is, is in that is pretty much in that drama as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I love all that. And I would just say uh, to give more of the astrological perspective. Yes, please. <laughs> when Pluto really gets going into Aquarius in the coming years, I would expect that we have some profound paradigm shifts in this realm. So I know we had the recent thing, what was it like the Obama report or whatever that- Well, it was a, yeah, it was a government report that was uh, that was uh, mandated by uh, in the budget. Um, and I think it was, uh, the impetus was the Navy video stuff in 2017, which kicked off okay. this modern era. Um, which brought a whole bunch more people into the subject and interested in it um, for the uh, in good and the bad. And um, yeah. uh, that, you know, that's in the moon card. That's why I see what's going on. But as a mm-hmm. result of this uh, of this tribulation or whatever you want to call it, or this new interest and this um, discussion that the subject is is reinvigorated and strengthened, no matter if it's in front of the public or not. Mm. Well, um, Aquarius is the sign of science and tech in the future. Mm. And so my take is that we might get something uh, more like evidence, right? That would cause a profound paradigm shift because it's Pluto, that mm-hmm. the way we think about these things. A lot of people are talking about that right now as, as yeah. uh, you know, physical evidence, which I think, I don't think physical evidence of UFOs is physical evidence of UFOs. It's physical evidence of themselves, but it's physical evidence of their presence. Um, people have asked me, what do you think the, you know, these, uh, the UFO, I just noticed something in the American Renaissance tarot box. There's a magnet in it. (laughs) Yeah. To keep it close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, um, now I forgot what I was saying. Um, so like evidence that, um, yeah, yeah. Physical evidence. Like when somebody says there's a piece of a UFO that they've found, 
I right. don't think it's a literal piece of the UFO. I think it's an avatar for whatever happened when that UFO landed, crashed, or whatever it is, or what mm. we think of as that. I think yeah. it's almost like an apport. Well, I mean, I guess what I'm, I'm thinking of just jumping off the Aquarian imagery is that we may have new ways to measure things mm, that yeah. we didn't have before, right? <laughs> so I know so people that are working on that. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's a soft prediction for Pluto and Aquarius, but it's got a long time. What is it? Almost like 20 years that it's going to be in Aquarius. So we have a good long time to to see how that develops. What when did that when was Pluto and Aquarius last? Um, that I do not have written down, unfortunately. It's gotta be a really long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but gosh, I can't ever remember. Pluto, Pluto takes forever. <laughs> yeah, it's two hundred and sixty something years. So yeah. we just had our America just had its Pluto return right around the time my deck came out, which was <laughs> perfect timing because I'm I'm also the Pluto babe astrologer. So that's right. It all came together. Yeah. Very cool. Greg, this was so much fun. I loved getting to do this reading for the podcast. That was so fun. I, the deck is just so rich. I can't wait to find out more about it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to get more familiar with American Renaissance. I've been very slowly easing myself into the hot water of of your deck, and and yeah. it, you know what it is to me? It's just like the ufology, the ufology tarot. It is a chance to learn about pieces of history that I e either thought I knew about or mm -hmm. didn't know anything about, and it's it's discussed in context, and you know, and it, not just the context of the tarot or esotericism, but what happened in the 19th century? How did it create what we're doing, What who we are now, and how can it comment on and provide perspective on who we are now? That That's yeah. what I'm getting out of the deck, and this is why I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you. I, I love that take. And uh, it is dense. Yes, it takes a while to get to know. That is true. So, mm -hmm. oh, um, well, I've had a fabulous time. I have too. Thank you, Thea. Um, do you have any uh, uh, any website or anything you want to tell people about before we go so that they can, I mean, I guess they can just go on Amazon or wherever and pick up <laughs> pick up the deck unless you have a place you'd rather them order it from? Yeah. So do I want to plug anything? Yes, um, please. No, I'm, I'm good with uh, Amazon for book sales. That works just fine for me since I don't sell them myself. And Really, the only things I have going on, I'm I'm always taking new astrology clients, so that's the heart of my work right now. And pretty soon here, around Spring Equinox at the Philosophical Research Society, I'm launching an astrology series with them. Ah, uh, good, yeah. Uh, which I'm really excited about. So if you want to do beginning astrology, although you you know you could drop in at a higher level too, I think you'd still get something out of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, look for me teaching astrology classes this year. Are those and, online or is it uh, live and, uh, on, and online? It is going to be online, actually. So um, okay. you'll get some recordings and then you can jump on a Zoom with me. And and there it is. Okay, excellent. And it, you did not know this, but each guest gets to pick the music that goes at the end of the show. Ooh, um, Gary Newman, our friend's electric. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I almost knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you knew it. You knew my taste. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay, we'll put that in. Thank you so much, Thea, and thank you for your time and mainly for your work, the American Renaissance Tarot. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. This was great.
Yes. Yeah.